Hello and welcome to this edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. I am Chapin Hemingway, joined as always by Jeremy Fisk and Lee Carlo. This week we're going back to 1999 to look at uh, David O. Russell's Three Kings, starring George Clooney, Mark Wahlberg, and Ice Cube. And for our top five this week, we're going to do our an update of our top five most anticipated films of the year. What do you see here? Bunker, sir. What's inside? Millions. Got a plan. Saddam stole it from the sheets. I have no problem stealing it from Saddam. They've got the gold. Let's just stick to the plan. The plan is for the gold, right? Now they've got problems. If you leave us here, we are dead. We have to get him over the border. George Clooney, Mark Wahlberg, Ice Cube. You go now, please. I don't think so. Three Kings. We have looked back at a bunch of movies from 1999. It's quite the list now, um, and we encourage people to go back and look at those. Um, but I think one of the fun things to do, which I think we especially did on our Star Wars Episode One podcast, is sort of think about the way 1999 was kind of a harbinger for things to come uh, in film. And um, I remember kind of seeing Three Kings when it came out. Very excited to see it, of course. Um, and I don't know if I felt this way now or I felt this way then or, or I'm thinking about it now, but I sort of thought of the film as a a little bit revolutionary, a little bit uh, avant-garde and new, but it was this big budget Hollywood film with stars that was like totally different. And there was a lot of experimentation going on on the director's part. Um, And it was this unique film, especially considering how big the budget was. But um, so I I, I wanna say that even then I was hoping that this was gonna be a trend going forward that this was going to usher in an era of you know sort of less conventional studio films um and i'm wondering guys if you feel like were that did did we get that the promise of three kings did did we did we see more of that in in filmmaking going forward or did did the box office performance or whatever did, did or did we or did we sort of lose it or did it not did it not uh come to fruition i mean i could even take that question and put it under a microscope just for david o russell and i feel like did david o russell after three kings stay with as much experimental um big budget filmmaking or did he himself kind of go more traditional hollywood right i mean and i would i would lean to saying he went more traditional hollywood with his later films he did something a little bit uh different than you see here because yeah three kings is like this sort of jolt it's like this rock and roll war heist movie where there are no rules like you you have a director that's just gonna do it how he's gonna do it uh not irresponsibly I mean, I, th- I feel like er- most, I should say most every decision he makes has a reason, and it's not like the film doesn't have consequences, but he is able to make it sort of like a fun mixtape of great cinema in a, in a weird way, and it really hits you with that, and I thought watching it this time, I'm like, it's not going to be like I'm not going to feel that. I'm not going to feel that jolt you I used to get watching Three Kings like the first few times I saw it. Like, whoa, this guy's doing something. But I got that again. I mean, I had my I had some issues with it, but like you felt it right from the beginning, and it it was it was kind of like rock and roll 
right there. Yeah, I was oddly reminded of a a point you brought up, Chapin, on our Deer Hunter podcast mm-hmm. when you when you mentioned that if if the Deer Hunter were to come out today, it would just be about that small Pennsylvania town and those people and like they're trying to get by everyday life and like they're suffering. And I feel like if Three Kings were to be made today, it would just be about these these refugees or the you know the the fact that we should never have been a part of this this war in the Persian Gulf but David O Russell or or I guess the flip side is it would just be a heist movie which actually <laughs> triple frontier um is <laughs> essentially this movie made right. today um but David O Russell does like this just incredible job of taking all of those real world scenarios and making a comedy, making an action movie, making a heist movie and making it work all together as its own piece. And I think that's something that over the years we have definitely gradually lost. I don't know if we started to see that immediately in the aftermath, but you know what I think it is? No, I, if it was made today, David O. Russell would feel an obligation not to have as much fun with it as he is having here. Or any director. You're right. I, I feel like, and I, I I feel like, so this is pre-9-11, so the, we, we then go through a whole other war with Afghanistan and Iraq <laughs> post-9-11. Yeah. So it's kind of, now we get, like, it would be very difficult for a filmmaker now to have the balls to star three Americans in an Iraq war movie where they're the heroes and the tone of the movie is sort of, in a, for lack of a better word, uh, like light and joyous. Like that would be really hard to do today. But I feel like it's kind of a shame. Like we're missing out on something because uh, it's not like he. It's not like he's the consequences of war aren't part of this movie. They're a huge part of this movie. But I don't feel like you could present it nowadays like he does here. It's interesting that, that you say say that in just in terms of how it, O. Russell or any director wouldn't do it, and it's because it would be so hard to do. But And granted, it's not just the, the Iraq war and stuff that followed immediately after 9-11, but... I don't want to it, blame it all on 9-11. <laughs> obviously, the world has gone through a lot and changed a lot, but the interesting thing is like we're way further beyond 9-11 and the Iraq war now mm-hmm. than this movie was from from Desert Storm. So this was all, I guess, still pretty fresh. I mean, I, I mean, I can only speak for myself, but I, you guys are, I imagine, are in the same boat. I don't really know a whole lot about that um, conflict in the Persian Gulf, and I, we were too young. But so I, I think watching this movie, like that piece doesn't, I don't, that when this movie came out and now, like I don't really have any, aspect of me that's like okay that was too soon they should have been a little more delicate with this and i think there's a lot more of that just in general now with people and with audiences so that's an an obstacle that has to be overcome um but just back to chapin's question again like i just don't think one i don't think studios are willing to put this kind of budget behind a movie that is you know like three kings but even if it was done on a smaller budget i just don't think there's enough confident directors out there to do this. There's certainly confident directors and great directors, but is this what they're going to do with that? 
you know, with that confidence. Well, some of it, some of it's not going to be just the director. There's certain aspects of this movie, like I made, I, I made a, a a note about the how the soldiers are lack of of interact interacting with violence and um like trying to have like wanting some action there was there's a theme of like we didn't get any action i want some action i want to see some violence like the beginning of the film which is hilarious when mark Wahlberg shoots that guy and then later um spike jones is describing reimagine it it, yeah yeah (laughs) like he's like i never thought i'd get to see someone shot in this war like all that just wouldn't wouldn't work now because no one wants to have that no you really can't have that conversation of wanting violence because we just then went through another, uh, whatever, 19-year war in Afghanistan where every movie is about the horrors of, of the war and, and, and dealing with that violence. So that that felt like it's just something that couldn't be done today. Um, but... Uh, I forgot where we started with that well, question. I don't know if we, t- that have point, we totally answered... Have we totally answered your question? I mean, we talked a lot about this movie. Would this movie be able to be made now? But just in terms of this type of movie, well, Chapin that's was the, asking, those are like, some themes that, yeah. that in types of movies you probably wouldn't be able to to address now. Uh, it's hard. It's it's a bit of a general question, but um, but I guess making taking a lot of being given a lot of money to yeah. laugh at a serious situation is sort I think of you what can this still movie do did. That. <laughs> I mean, you definitely I think you can, can still and it's, do that. it's rare, and I think when those movies do come out, we often get really excited about them and tend to like them quite a bit. But I, I don't think this movie's even laughing at any situation. I just think it's a well... It's just I think irreverent. It plays, yeah, yes. it's irreverent, yes. and it plays laughs very well. And Spike Jones is, is so good in this. Yeah, he's so funny. Well, until... So let's, funny. Get back to, let's get back to him. Until Joy... He doesn't get a budget anywhere near this, and you could argue that, um, you know, adjusted for inflation, it's 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 about the same. But I mean, I don't know. I just think he. I just thought it was such a bold. It's such a bold movie, and and I remember at the time, you know, you we were at the eve of this new millennium, and you know, thinking about where movies are going to go, and obviously, it turned out to be a very formative year for movies. And um, I don't know. In my opinion, I don't. I don't know that. I don't think we've people make movies like this. You know, I don't. I don't know that people make movies like this anymore. I don't know that people are allowed to make movies like this. You know, I think we've talked a little bit about this. I think on the podcast a long time ago, but the disappearance of the sort of the mid-level movie and like, you know, it's either everything has to be you know kind of forty million and below, or it's got to be you know, a Marvel 150 film. or up. yeah. And these, these middling movies and wh- wh- which have kind of big ideas with big stars, they're, they're sort of few and far between. And then when you add on top of that, this, you know, really kind of, I mean, the movie is almost ugly at points because of the, what they do to the, like the film stock and the, and the different experiments that uh, David O. Russell did throughout the film just made it, m- makes it just very unconventional. And, I think that was exciting to me at the time when I saw it because it was just unlike anything you'd ever seen. Was it exciting to you this time? Did you still feel that? Definitely. It was, I definitely noted less so. Um, 
because of what I think is smart about what he did was he made this unconventional movie, but it's got a very, and I thought of you, Jeremy, when I was thinking about this, it's got a very conventional and familiar plot structure. Um, mm-hmm. And and the beats are almost conventional as well. Um, but just the way he tells the story is very original and, and it's, it's got all these camera tricks. The way it looks is very different. And, but do you, so you can say, I mean, I think he's playing with those conventions though. I mean, he's clearly trying to merge these different, um, genres into one film. I mean, he's taking a war movie and then also making an escape movie and making a heist movie and trying to figure out, and I, I don't know, you, like you said, I'm a sucker for that. I think it's really clever how he, he interweaves all those things. So I, I, um, I probably should have clipped who I, I stole this from, but I, I copy and pasted a, a little, no, I copy and pasted a little um, excerpt from a from a review on Metacritic just as I was kind of perusing through on like some uh, some thoughts when this movie came out, and it kind of has a little bit to do with what you're saying in terms of this material being something we've seen many times before. Um, and it says Russell's darkly comic tale shows how much can be done with familiar material when you're burning to do things differently and have the gif- have the gifts to pull that off. And I think that really kind of describes this movie well. Like it is a lot of what we've seen before, but it's done in such a different way that it needs a director that can do it. And I think that's a little bit about what we're talking about. We we don't see movies like this for a number of different reasons, but there's not a lot of directors that can successfully do it. And I mean, it's interesting, like you said, Jeremy, O. Russell might not, David O. Russell might not even have done it since. How would you guys yeah. describe his style now? Um, Digital classic Hollywood. Energetic. I mean, he he still has... I still think he has like a a pacing to his movies that are that is energetic. I guess is the best word that I can describe it with. Um, but I when I was watching this, like I was I was sort of I didn't remember them, and, and I was surprised to see those like you know shots of the bullet going through your guts and stuff like that. Those cutaways to that because yeah. I I didn't uh, I didn't like equate that to David O. Russell's movies so right that's different than anything you've seen before there's a lot of stuff like uh, even just the shots of the sky with the you know each of the main characters looking over the camera um the one thing i think that is consistent with david o russell is his he sort of has just like quirky characters and eccentric characters um you know i think about obviously the fighter is based on a true story but christian bale in that movie but both or a lot of the characters in Silver Linings Playbook, um, American Hustle, like all the characters are very loud and outlandish, n- not just in their behavior, but in their costumes and everything. And I so don't think I, those guys, I, I don't see that in this movie. I mean, maybe Spike Jones a little bit. Spike but, Jones a little bit and Jamie Kennedy is like that. And even, those, even yeah. the, the reporter is like very loud. And I mean, you definitely have a little bit more subtlety from, um, the three kings in George Clooney, Mark Wahlberg, and Ice Cube, but I guess the the supporting roles are very eccentric. Um, but the style, I think, has definitely changed over the years from him. And I don't know if that's good or bad. I, w- I guess that's not a great thing, but I've liked his movies since. 
for uh, yeah reasons. I wish I wish he was more experimental like he was in this movie I wish he would go out there a little bit more I feel like maybe part of him was like there was more of a need for it in this film um, it, it justified the story a little bit more than say you know American Hustle or Joy or something like that but um, I think it would be I think it would be more fun to see him do to to do that I, I you know I, I don't know if he feels like a responsibility to like now his acting troupe that he has that he has to sort of get them their Oscars and make that uh, make that yeah. sort of movie but uh, you know fuck him I mean he's gonna say fuck it with everything else you might as well say fuck <laughs> it with that <laughs> yeah since when does he care about his actors yeah since when does he care about <laughs> anyone um yeah I don't know I what did you guys think of of the sort of morality conflict in this movie do you feel like it was wedged in there or do you feel like it kind of went with the story that we were being told actually what I really liked about this movie is how he kind of let the gravity of those real life scenarios with the refugees and the people left in Iraq that are you know trying to fend off Saddam's armies he lets those that gravity kind of support itself, and he doesn't try to dramatize it or over-dramatize it, I guess. And that I think that's kind of what allowed him to make this a comedy and an exciting action heist movie and focus a little bit on his characters. He just kind of let those things be real. And I found a lot of the scenes in this movie very moving, and I thought pretty intense to kind of see mm-hmm. what these people were going through. I thought it worked really well, but I never felt like it was, you know, being exploitive or it was trying to like really showcase how horrible everything was there and like how there was never that moment where I was like, you know, think about this movie. At the beginning they're singing, you know, God bless the USA, you know, the this song that I think has probably taken on a whole new meaning now since it you know, like that time period in post nine eleven, but it's it's very like rah rah USA. Like these these guys, like the came to the isn't. war, they want to. F- but it's well, that's my they point. Are. Is that the, the soldiers exactly are, because they it, have nothing else to do. But this movie could have so easily fallen into this trap where it tries to juxtapose those two things, where it says, "Oh, you guys are so rah rah US. Like you, you, you know, you were here. You shouldn't have been. But look at how bad it is. Even though this war is, it never tried to like." to manipulate us as audience members with that. It just sort of let that stuff be told. There was actually a really quick shot that you guys probably noticed with the Rodney King beating on TV. Yeah. And and I was just like, okay, maybe that's there to establish some some time and place. But I thought of it kind of similarly that I thought of like seeing all of these uh, Iraqi people that were suffering. It's It's just trying to show it as it was. And this is the things that were going on in the world. And yeah, these soldiers are kind of goofing off and they are trying to take advantage of kind of the power they have there to steal a bunch of gold. But the real world is still kind of going on. And I thought that just happened very naturally in this movie. Oh, see, I, I disagree with you on that. I, I think the, the big, one of the big themes that I noticed throughout the whole thing is it's look you've got these guys the three the, th- the three kings is, i guess that's who they are 
Uh, <laughs> so we're calling them, yeah. Like you know, they are. They, you've got this American greed, right? Like they they want they want the easy money. They want to go get the gold and steal it. And you know, like maybe we should talk later about how sort of implausible their plan is. But whatever, that's fine. <laughs> um, but then, you know, and so as they kind of learn this very sort of obvious message about humanity and war, and you know, learn to let their greed go, they you see sort of, um, you know, American consumerism consuming the Iraqi people at Iraqi army. Like there's just a perfect example of that is, you know, at the end, towards the beginning of the third act of the film, George Clooney is desperately chasing, running through the bunker, looking for Mark Wahlberg. And he runs into this Iraqi soldier carrying a, (laughs) like a handful of blue jeans to, as oh, yeah. he's escaping, as he's escaping the the bunker, and you know they're they're always like finding these big rooms full of, you know this all this like kind of, you know con- these consumer goods like you know film and yeah blenders. clothes and blenders <laughs> things like that, and there's you know there's and, and people are always like America America and and uh, you know you could you you sort of it's it's this it's this juxtaposition of how you know there's this American greed in in us Americans but also the influence of the culture you know uh, overseas and on our you know on our enemy at least in in this particular case and how those sort of manifest themselves and I think like that that is also a wake-up call like for the audience whereas you know the characters wake up to their own greed we kind of wake up to the greed of the country and the way that that we've sort of thrown all these sort of stupid objects out into the world for people to buy um and and it's almost it's almost more uh like apparent now when you see what the objects are uh you know 20 years later and you're you, they're cassette tapes and stuff that we don't right, even right. use anymore that i mean that just makes them that much more of objects to us but but i didn't find that stuff to be like ham-fisted in there like that's no, why no, I, mean, no, I, I don't all. think not so either. that's why i mean this movie wasn't exploitive or didn't try to manipulate us it was like we saw all that stuff because that's where the character was like we they didn't have some scene to show us all these, you know, material goods that that were there. Like I, that's what I mean about how this movie sort of naturally well, let the real life aspects exist. I mean, I think smartly it was played for laughs and it was hilarious. Yeah. You know, it was yeah. it was really funny. I mean, I, I I did find the sort of the the politics specifically in the interrogation slash torture scene with Mark Wahlberg. Yeah, I want to talk about that scene. I found I found that stuff to be a little simplistic. Um, and, you know, not quite, you know, it wasn't quite as subtle as maybe the other things we're talking about here, which is fine. Like, I mean, you know, do, are we looking for this? To, like, is this the Gulf War movie? I don't know. It's, you know, maybe you could go back to, I don't know, like Jarhead or something like that. For I, that. I would say this is a. Uh, the Gulf War movie. This or Jarhead? Yeah, this this was, is a way better movie, and I think it, it encapsulates that war, from what I understand, uh, better than than Jarhead does. Are there a lot of movies about this war? I don't know. Um, Not a lot, but a couple things on that in, on that interrogation scene, that torture scene with Wahlberg. Um, one more serious note being that while I had mixed feelings on that scene for exactly the reasons you described, Chapin, I, I actually was very, kind of moved by how they humanized 
the villain in that scene, Saeed Tag Maui's yeah, character. He's, he's a great actor, I think. Right. Yeah, I recognized him. I didn't know his name until I looked it up, and then now tried to pronounce it. Still, um, still know his name. <laughs> but I just think, I just think scenes like that will always work. That when when you humanize the villain, it's a smart choice. And and in this case, they do it a little kind of obviously, where they talk about how his you know his kid was killed in a bombing. Yeah. And and they tr- and he kind of tells Mark Wahlberg to put you know those shoes on his feet and. They show a quick shot of that potentially happening, and and I think that's effective, and I and I really liked that scene for that. Um, on a less serious note, did you guys like? So he got oil poured, in, poured into his mouth in that torture scene, and then mm-hmm. when he was rescued, he was all cleaned up. Did you guys notice that? That's yeah, <laughs> was, I didn't was, that. that bothered me <laughs> for yeah. some no no reason. But is that I, why he was delirious I, after from the uh, the oil? Well, yeah, and he was been he'd been electrocuted. Yeah, um, all, the, all that stuff. Expanding on that real quickly, though, like you have a scene like that that I think is, I guess it's important. But what the torture I mean, scene? The torture scene. Uh-huh. It, 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 I think it allows our the audience. It's there more for the audience than it is for a character change for Mark Wahlberg. But his character change was obnoxious because, like, then then he's like barely surviving after he gets shot. And he's just like telling, I, I forget what he says on that last scene when they're at the border and they get stopped. And he's just like, just kill me. I don't care. Like this, uh, the, uh, we're here killing everybody. Like it was no, just a no, total he's fighting. He's fighting for his life. Okay. No, that's not. No, but he got all, he got all mad about something that because he had this experience getting tortured and hearing this guy's story. Well, that, I don't like, think. Totally I, changed his character way, way more than it needed to, to get the point across. I mean, there's definitely some clunky moments and I, that I blame on on the writing more than anything else. Sure, um, I do. I do want to go back really quickly to that sequence. I think the things that I admire, I, I, I and I, I saw a little bit of what I sort of admire about Oh Russell, David O. Russell in this movie, is some of the same stuff I admire about Kubrick. I mean, I think they're very, very different filmmakers. But like, part of me, you know, watching a movie like Two Thousand One, I sit there and I go. I, I can't I, like I can't believe the balls on Kubrick to do this kind of stuff and it's like he does things that I you know in my sort of you know lizard brain think to do immediately and would love to be able to do in a movie but would never have the balls to do like you know show the beginning of time and the the the, uh, the, the occasion at which you know man or primates discovered, um, you know, weapons for the first time. But then, like, oh, Russell does it on just, like, a little bit of a minute scale. Like, he, that, that care, the Iraqi character says, you know, what would you do if, if we, if I, if someone bombed your family? And they cut to that <laughs> slow motion shot of yeah. his wife and yeah. baby being blown up. And it's like, God, yeah. like, that is such, that is yeah, so, it's ballsy. It's, it's ballsy, but it's like, you could see how someone would st- you could see how a critic or or audiences would find that very manipulative and kind of an easy thing to do but i admire his balls for doing that and, he, and like the 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 bullet penetrating the 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 body and it's like god like i i mean i'm sure that i've had that thought before but i would never think that it would ever be okay to pull something like that off but he just does it and that's there's something I admire about that. I mean, he he's not a filmmaker that I'm like super in love with, but this movie is just it's just like it's like it's got such balls. But what's 
what's even beyond that, what's really great about his direction in this movie is, you know, you see those cutaways when the bullet's going through the through the guts and everything, and he's talking about the bile coming out, and you get that image in your head. Now you are you have no choice but to picture that later on when two of our main characters get shot. Right. Well, and even before he, that, Lee, like when they when they open up fire, even on the Iraqis, when the the ceasefire gets, he does it in this slow motion. You hear that thud. You don't see yeah. it, but you're picturing it because you'd already seen yep. it. And yeah, so yeah, that slow motion, the slow motion of of all of the shootout is is a perfect example. Like all you're thinking about is like, oh, these bullets are going in, and now I know what's happening inside. <laughs> like, right. and I just think that's brilliant <laughs> storytelling. <laughs> No, it, it is. It is. It's just so smart. And, like, it. I, it's interesting. Like, it's sort of the – I don't know. I don't even know – I can't even think of another example where that type of thing is done. But I it, think he does – It's sort of a plant and payoff of sorts, but just in terms of, like, the imagery, not in terms of storytelling. And he does all this, like, to just the right – extent like like the scene yeah, where he definitely he, doesn't overdo it that's he doesn't that's overdo it like like the scene where they blow up his wife and baby like there's a it cuts to a certain point you don't see like any gore but you get the point across and same with yeah. the, the 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 crib getting crushed you see it but you get the point across the only time he kind of really does it is that very first shot where where mark Wahlberg kills uh when he's asked are we shooting people today we shooting people or what? <laughs> and he shoots the guy, and yeah. it's sort of, and then they start to run up. But then you see the actual ramifications of it because it it, it becomes real serious. Then um, I don't know. I feel like this movie just does such a good job with picking its battles, for lack of a better phrase, um, and getting its point across without taking itself so seriously, which is just such a hard thing to do. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I, 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 I totally agree with that. And I think what I admire so much about this film is the way that it's made the sort of the modality of the of the product of the film, the way it was the way it's come together. I, you know, I don't know that I put that much stock into its sort of overall effect. You know, I like I think for me that that has softened, certainly in the 20 years since I first saw it. But I think, you know, when I did see it and this goes back to Lee uh, and it's interesting because the four of the three of us just did this, but you know, drinking the bottle of wine, you know, in the vineyard, it's, it's all about when you see the, you know, the context Mm -hmm. as to when you see a film for the first time, Uh, you know, I was younger and dumber and, and, and more naive when I first saw this. And, and, and I really, really relate related and and was impacted by in particular like the representation of the Iraqis and and understanding that I, you know looking back it's a little simplistic nowadays but you know at the time it was sort of extraordinary i i think i had the opposite reaction chapin i mean i i liked this movie the first time i saw it and but what i remember so much is honestly is spike jones like talking about the cow's head getting blown off like I mean, he boom was great. like i that's that's the stuff i remember from this movie how it kind of took a in a reverent approach at a serious subject i didn't remember anything about kind of the moving more moving aspects of this movie that i think i took away a lot from here and I, I, at the same time i will say that maybe those are the some of the weaker parts of the movie what, what parts just sort of the 
I don't know, tr- like the interrogation scene, for example, like just trying a little too hard to get the point across. Yeah. But but when all is said and done as a whole, I just found, you know, that storyline, the the part that is probably the more realistic aspect, more interesting. Yeah, I feel like this movie actually weirdly would have benefited from almost another 45 minutes if it really wanted to get... That's something get, we never say. I know, get across. <laughs> I know. Speak for yourself. <laughs> get across just the empathy and, and not to be so simplistic with the um, Iraqi characters because it was a little bit like, hey, um, this is our situation like obviously feel bad for us because it's a terrible situation but to develop those characters a little bit more would have taken a bit more on that journey that journey should have been maybe expanded a bit um because everything happened so fast but then would this movie work tonally the way it did because it's it's like such a balancing act as i said before so if you expanded that journey of them getting to the border would it then all of a sudden not be the same sort of quick cutting. Um, yeah, it's a different movie. It's I a think. different movie. So th- I feel like that's where the trouble m- may have lied because I agree with you, Chapin. It, that part of it was a bit simplistic, but what are you going to do? Yeah, You're making and, a different movie. I mean, it was also, it's also like a simpler time, right? Like, I mean, we, we fought these people in you know, the early nineties and then went to war with them in the early two thousands, 10 years later. And it was a completely different circumstance in war. And it's, it's so much more complex now. And I think we're, we're used to that. And we've seen, I think we've seen a lot more movies now about that conflict than we have the Gulf war. And it was a, a much smaller deal. It was just, I mean, that's just the way, the way it is. And so when you, when you, I think that, 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 that's also a, a cause of, of this film being a little more simplistic is that it was just a simpler time. I mean, I think, I, I, yeah. And also ultimately, I, I think another reason why this movie may not work now or may not be a greenlit now is that it, it's not a very respectful movie of the military. <laughs> you know, it's, no, it's, it's, you no, can do whatever you want. I wouldn't call it like, critical in the same in a way that like you know maybe apocalypse now is or it's not like an anti-war movie really i mean maybe it is but it, it's not like anti-military no, I don't think it is it just shows but it just shows it kind of paints the conflict as being this kind of this joke and that be there you know that that these guys could just jump in a humvee and leave for three days and not really be right. noticed is i don't know is that is that is that the way things work maybe it is but you know what i you know what I found it to what it reminded me a little bit. What George Clooney reminded me a little bit of Eric Bana in Black Hawk Down. Yeah, because it's just this like cocky. I you know I don't I don't play by the typical military rules because I'm a Delta. This is my you safety know, like, right here. Right. So I I feel like maybe maybe that's just how those those guys behave. They're so good at what they do. They can do whatever they want. But I totally get it. Like it does does sort of make the military seem like. Not the uh, the organized institution that it is. <laughs> yeah. They can sort of just get away with whatever they want, and and as soon as the consequences arrive, they just offer to share the money. <laughs> yeah, I definitely. I mean, I feel like there's no way around that to get them on their journey. They that that part was definitely. Um, a bit I, had, awkward. I, I had no problem with that though. I mean, look, like that's I mean, they the, tried to solve movie. it at that's the, the end. Story. 
Like, but let, wait, but take... wait, 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 wait. But there's like, but it's not just this. It's not just the plot circumstances. They like cut back to Holt McNerney, McNerney and Mc, Michael T. Williams being like, where are these guys? And then the convoy leaves and they don't even notice. It's like they're all, they've all got their heads up their asses. But, but the thing is that like, take all of the, the real world aspects out of this movie which are, are, of course, a part of what makes this movie what it is. But, like, like take this movie in comparison to Triple Frontier, which I think is a perfect comparison because it's the same movie. Triple Frontier is just sort of the, the uh, you know, kind the of idiot stepbrother of it. Um, it's it, it and it's just a heist movie. Like, who cares? Like, how how are the, what's the plan to go steal the money? Like, that's that's it doesn't matter. How, like if it's ridiculous just go do it and then the movie's underway so if this was just a heist movie we wouldn't be critical of how they got to the starting point we just need them to get going get on get on on the way towards the heist yeah but i think because this is an elevated movie because it's got some more aspects to it and it's coming from a better director we're more critical of those circumstances which i don't really know that we need to be no, it's. It, I, I'm not critical of it at all. I think the movie is critical of the military, and I don't think. I think we've got a reverence in pop culture now for the military, specifically in movies, that we can't aren't allowed to say those things anymore. At least, you think not, so? I don't. I mean, you can have a movie like The Hurt Locker where it's sort of seriously critical of war in a more general right. sense, but this just makes these guys look like idiots, and that this war was kind of like a joke and and I, I i don't i mean one i don't think that's the case for um you know the war in afghanistan and the the iraq war but the gulf war you know maybe that's more maybe that's reflective of that conflict i guess i guess what my like my point is like so are these guys sort of goofy and idiots in within the heist storyline or are they goofy and idiots within the you know, post Desert Storm storyline, and I get it; they're both the same in this movie. But you guys kind of get what I'm saying. Like, th- are you talking about the main characters or the military? The military, like, so in order for this heist to work, they all. The, first of all, the three kings need to kind of go way out on a limb here, but then also their COs need to <laughs> have their heads up their asses, as Chapin so eloquently described it. So. In order for that to work, all that needs to happen. If this wasn't a heist movie, if this was just a movie about post-Desert Storm, then they would treat the military with a little bit more reverence, I think, and like probably do it a little bit more by the book. But we don't need that here. What we need is a reason for these guys to be able to go do this. I also think, that, to Chapin's means, point, they did it on purpose. I think they wanted the... I mean, everything about this makes the the war and the military and the soldiers look look silly. But look I don't bored. know if it was look done like for they don't have anything purposes. to do. They put C four onto uh, Nerf uh, footballs for the fun of it because they're <laughs> but do bored. Do you think that was done for critical, like to be critical yeah. of the U.S. military? I, I don't think know it, that was. it was. I think it was not necessarily the military, but to be critical of the war as like these. Okay, guys. I think that's a different question, though. I, and I agree with that. I just yeah. think I don't. I think that's all part of the heist storyline. Like, I guess. I, I guess know. I would ask you what. What we we are introduced to George Clooney's character when he's plowing. Yeah. What's her name? <laughs> Judy Judy Greer. Judy, Judy Greer, who you know, looks pretty good in this movie. Um, 
and 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 the couple a couple arrested development uh yeah in Iraq in with Saddam. And they drive, yeah. they drive they, <laughs> Brilliant. And then Jamie Kennedy drives the other reporter around in like a dude buggy for the whole movie. I mean, what military character in this movie is is well represented from a military point of view? I don't think any. None, nobody is sort of particularly brave. Nobody really... I mean, in the end, our three main characters do the right thing, but then that's sort of at the, at, you know, at the, to the chagrin of the larger what we understand to be the larger military you know like i i I think it's quite critical of 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 them yeah i would agree um do you want to talk about uh uh, the acting acting? because i i I feel like this is another movie that's an annoying reminder that mark Wahlberg can be good can be really good yeah it's like what the hell dude you just don't care anymore i had a i had a theory um because of course, like you guys, I I was, I, and, and it's not like a it's not an uh, an amazing theory. I just think he got famous. Like that's where it went wrong, with the exception of The Departed. He's pretty famous already. In this movie, I mean, is he, he was famous before he was an actor. Yeah, he had already done okay. Bo- Boogie Nights at this point. I don't. Yeah, but Boogie Nights didn't make him famous as an actor. I just think I just think like he you look at him in Boogie Nights and you look at him in this like he's still not I think like he just this. cares. I think he he stopped caring at some point. It became like maybe because he it, became it, so highly paid and Yeah, know. it became a job and less of a, a thing he wanted to do. It just became a job he needed to do to stay famous so he, that he can then have the life he wants outside of it yeah so that he can work out and do whatever he wants out of it i feel like he used to care now it's just like paycheck i mean can you can you can you imagine uh mark Wahlberg doing i heart huckabees nowadays probably not i actually haven't seen that movie no i haven't either but no it's i mean it's another david Russell movie and it's super strange and low budget i'm sure he made no money but he works with him twice you know twice again after this movie three times total yeah um, i mean he's great in it um i think everyone's even ice cube's great in this. i liked yeah. ice cube and i used yeah. to actually remember being critical of him there's this one line that he says where he's just like let's just help these people out and then we'll be yeah. on our way which like he doesn't deliver great, but I was like, oh, you know what? It didn't bother me this time, and I oddly remembered that line and was bothered by it. But I think he was good. But Spike Jones, I mean, this guy—is there a better like actor director that like? I mean, he doesn't act all the time. Yeah, what else but, like, has he done? Like this just reminds always like, these small roles. To, yeah, he's and he's always brilliant in him. I mean, how freaking funny is he in Wolf of Wall Street? Like. <laughs> I'll suck your dick, but I'll be <laughs> and happy I'll def- And I hope it happens. <laughs> it happens. He's so good. And then in Moneyball, he's amazing too, where he's trying to pronounce Jason Giambi's name. or Jer- <laughs> And he's like, oh, it's tough. You lost all those players of GMB. <laughs> and I'm like, this guy just shows up in these movies in these small little roles and steals every scene that he's in. And then also happens to direct some great movies. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, the lines he's delivering aren't easy to deliver. They're not, like, like some they could have fallen super flat. Like when he says uh, the little cubes you put in water to make soup. Like, yeah. that's, yeah. like, not <laughs> yeah. that funny. But the way he's... sort of silly, yeah. Yeah, it's sort of silly. But the way he says it in all earnesty, it's just, it's, just, it's so good. He's what, so good. When he's talking about the shrine, when he's like, it yeah. sa- sounds like a great shrine. I'm not, even, I'm not kidding. <laughs> 
but in this whole movie, like, I wish they didn't have the little title card where it says he wants to be Troy Barlow because you get that in this movie. Yeah. Like, he has the biggest man crush on Malberg in this movie and just wants to be by his side the whole time. You don't need that little title card, but it's God, so brilliant. Did you guys rent this on iTunes? No, uh, on, I, on Amazon. On Amazon. One of the one of the sort of negative aspects of this new globalized economy where we can have everything on demand is that all the sort of the the typewriter sound effect title cards are all just like the standard subtitle now. So, so that it, it, would, really it wasn't would, in mind. It would type yeah. it out, and it would just be this stand. It, there was no, there was no, you know, each character appearing on the screen. It was just like a little subtitle. Oh, it was really, it was really strange. And I think it's just because they have to, you know, they 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 get one copy and put it into hundreds of languages. Oh right. Uh, soundtrack in this movie is amazing too. I um, there was a point they end up playing it later. So this sort of like mood at <clears> this point. But they played that. There was like two or three notes of of the Beach Boys song "Don't Worry, Baby" that played on the radio before they shut it off, and I just was like, "Oh my god, how much did that fucking cost to play those two notes?" <laughs> yeah, I mean, and then the music's also another uh, example of of the American culture uh, getting into Iraq, like. Yeah. Like they, when the Iraqis are playing their music, uh, you know, Mark Wahlberg goes, "This is terrible. This is shit. Turn that down." And then obviously the soundtrack for this is is, you know, probably worth yeah half the budget of the movie. It's ridiculous, yeah. Um, you know, I saw a quick trivia. Catherine Hardwick was the production designer yeah. on this movie. Yeah, interesting. Which I thought was interesting. <clears throat> um, of Twilight fame. Um, you guys want to recast this movie in any way? I'd like to recast uh, George Clooney. Out. Oh, interesting. Okay, I don't think. Yeah, this he is was. O- Evidently, David O. Russell wanted Nick Cage. Well, David O. Russell didn't they get they got in like a fist fight on this movie? So I, I think he yeah. So been okay with yeah, it. but he's been in a fight with every actor he's ever had. had so also, I was re- <laughs> I was reading an article, and I guess. George Clooney like really wanted to be in the movie and was like pitching hard to be in it and David O. Russell didn't want him he wanted Nick Cage long story short he ended up obviously casting George Clooney but the, yeah they no surprise got in a lot of fights on set which is so funny when I look at this IMDB picture of David O. Russell and he kind of looks like Ari a little bit from Entourage with classes he's got the face right he does he has, and he looks like like just like why do you want to pick fights with everybody you look like <laughs> like what are you trying to compensate for? Yeah, I mean, like here, I'll just say the two cents of like in general, David or Russell on sets is terrible to his crew and his cast. He just makes uh, working on his movies a living hell. So, unfortunately or fortunately, he makes good movies, so he's going to keep making them, and people are going to keep working. But um, yeah, I've heard I've heard horror stories. Yeah, he shot a lot in Boston. Obviously, the fighter Joy was shot in Boston. Yeah, fighter and Joy. Like uh, a lot of the people I know, either quit or fired. I mean, people who were just like location scouts and weren't allowed to look at him in the eye, had to stare at the floor. Don't look at. Don't do not look at Mister Jordan in the <laughs> eye. <laughs> so bizarre. Um, who would you who would you cast? 
taping. I mean, I don't. I kind of like the idea of Nick Cage. That that sounds interesting to me. I think he'd I be mean, distracting was, too. That was the thing about George Clooney. Like, I didn't think he was bad. I just thought he was distracting. I'm like, but he has that problem a lot. And I actually, I do my best to overlook that because I like George Clooney as an actor. But he is one of those actors that is always going to be George Clooney on screen. You know, who I think would be um, interesting. He might have been a little too young for it, but Cusack could have been cool. He would have been too young. You think he could have been Mark Wahlberg's yeah. character, though? I don't know, though. Isn't he about the same age as Mark as uh, George Clooney? I don't. I don't think he would have commanded that role as well. All right. Um, how about? So here's here's the harder question. I think I just think the nature of these actors is easy to recap. I mean, we could plug Leo into the Wahlberg role, um, but I don't think Leo um, has that again that same um, naivete kind of thing. I don't I don't either, but I could see it working. But just to make it harder on ourselves, who who else could have directed this movie? Well, I mean, obviously you you'd think of like PTA Spike, and Tarantino and Spike, Spike Jones. Jones. <laughs> yeah, Spike <laughs> Jones would actually probably be the perfect one. I that's the first one I thought of. <laughs> Cuz I think of like his Spike Jones kind of like quirky style like with movies like um adaptation or um even like uh, where the wild things are, like is sort of this like fantasy mixed with real world consequences. Like there's a little bit of thematic relatability to this movie, even though they're very different. Um, I, I think um, I would have liked to see Danny Boyle do it, although Danny so, Boyle. That's interesting you said that yesterday. 127 hours came to mind because of like the energy. Mm-hmm juxtaposed with how that movie sort of just stops in its place like there's a style in that movie that I think is similar to this um Danny Boyle's a good one this would have been a this would have been good Danny Boyle territory right Danny I mean this was right before or this was after wait when was this in Danny Boyle in uh Danny Boyle's career let me um it was like right around the beach okay yeah he may not have had so it. after after train spotting, yeah, beach right before the beach. Okay, so between those two, yeah. All right. Well, should we go do our top five now? Yes, sir. All right. Well, like I said in the intro, our top five on this podcast is going to be uh, sort of a re reassessment of our most anticipated movies of um, 2019, which I, I'm glad because I feel like you know you do this around. You know, right around Oscar season of last year, and it's like, God, I wonder what's going to be nominated. You know, in a year, and it's hard to tell. Um, so now I think there's a clear sort of idea of what's going to be sort of our favorite movies of. There's also of, so few that are like even show release, like you don't even like, right that you don't even know about. There's yeah, you never even heard were coming. Now, yeah, Lee, those, here's a question. Did you yeah, I know have, you're, I know what you're gonna ask. Did you happen to write down what our top five were before? I I didn't. I know what my number one was. You did is, or you did not? I did not write them down. I I kind of know what they were though. Okay. Um, we've only seen I think t- two. I think a couple. Well, Chapin, you had Triple Frontier, which I know you and I have seen. Jeremy, I, you had. I did a us. whole new list. And Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. No, we took. Well, the, we we, we took those. that off. Yeah. Um, I had yesterday. <laughs> um, but I don't think we've seen any of the other things that we listed. Okay. Well, then I'm just going to go my top five and just 
like my absolute top five, no, uh, yeah, no qualifications. Yeah. Really? Okay. I yeah. mean, I it's a little this. I um, I immediate my number one before was Motherless Brooklyn, which recently got a trailer, and I immediately removed yeah, from. That's good. <laughs> I, didn't, I, didn't see that. I didn't think that trailer looked that bad. What? What do you? Oh, it looks terrible. Yeah, it looks really <laughs> bad, Chapin. All right. All right. <laughs> looks worse than cats. will that be on my list that's going for it okay so why don't we jeremy i'd like to i'd love to start with you please your number five all right so i'm gonna have the most predictable list but my number five's gonna be ford versus ferrari which i don't know it was if it was on my list before i don't think it was it was i don't think it was um i mean there's not much more to say about that one it's just two powerhouse actors uh you know great director's movie yeah so yeah, that's my number five. Great, I can't wait for that. Yep. Um, my number, uh, my my list, by the way, is all new movies because I thought that was what we we're supposed to do. Um, and I yeah, think, not not reusing anything that you had had before. You mean yes. Yeah. Um, and my number five is, and and since a lot of these have had a trailer come out, which is great, so now we have a little bit better idea. Um, my number five is A Hidden Life by Terrence Malick. Um. I don't know. The trailer kind of looks like all Terrence Malick movies, but something about the plot of that film. No, that's it. There's a plot. There's a plot. Exactly. <laughs> and so there might be a little more structure to the movie, um, which is exciting. And, you know, I love Malick. I've been, I, I, I think I had a rant a couple years ago on the podcast about how I really hated the last couple of his movies. And they're just, they are just getting outrageously lost um yeah there's nothing you can even you can even put to it you yeah. know at least with the ones before you could you could add something you could bring something yourself but now i feel like it's just like i there's nothing there to grasp onto yeah and so i'm hoping this is this will be different i think it looks incredible um it and does. so yeah that's my number five lee what's uh, yours yeah hidden life was also on my list but i'm gonna substitute it i'm really excited about that and chapin i think you might I don't know, maybe you, Jeremy, but I think both of you are bigger Malik fans than I am, but this, for some reason, has really gotten my attention. Um, for the most part on my list, I tried to I tried to stick with movies that weren't kind of the obvious ones that, you know, are getting all the buzz. My number five is an exception to that. Uh, it's Little Women, Greta Gerwig's Little Women. This isn't a story that I'm really particularly interested in. I haven't read it, haven't seen the original movies. Um... I liked Lady Bird enough. I didn't love it, but it is enough to get me interested in what Greta Gerwig has to do, and I think this is an interesting project for her to take on. My biggest excitement for this is is Florence Pugh, who I'm 100% on board with. Mm-hmm. I like Saoirse Ronan. Um, I'm curious to see if um, Emma Watson is in her league or is in their league. Um, but, of course, Timothy Chalamet is also in this movie. Um Florence Pugh and Timothy Chalamet might be He's my finally two, off drugs. Those might be my two favorite young actors um, right now, and so I, I just want to see everything that they do. So I'm excited about this movie. Yeah, that just barely missed my list. Uh, I'm also excited for it. I think it I think it looks interesting, and I think you know the more we can, the more opportunity that you know female directors get, I think the better. And this looks this looks good. You know. Uh, and I, I think we have like a new wave of like powerhouse actresses too. Totally, like I said, oh, Florence totally. Pugh and Saoirse Ronan, Absolutely. especially. And you know, like I said, Emma Watson remain. I think the jury's still out, but 
it'd be great if she kind of joins that group too. Oh, also the there's another and Meryl Streep. Meryl so. Streep is is in it. <laughs> um, there's one of the other sisters. I, I'm forgetting her name right now, but she was um, in that miniseries Sharp Objects and was incredible. Um, the one with, with Amy, Amy Adams, Adams on HBO, and she was so good. Um, and so I'm also I'm really looking forward to, to her in that as well. Yeah, I wanted to uh, to Google the trailer, but I'm not allowed to type in Little Women. You are not. <laughs> <laughs> he set up filters for himself. <laughs> okay, Jeremy, uh, you're number terrible. four. All right, so uh, I'm going to make this a little bit more interesting and just call it my uh, the Irishman memorial list. So. Uh, which I think I did last time too, so yeah, makes it a little easier. Uh, my number four, I'm going with a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Yeah, that, that was, was on your, your list, list before. before. Sticking with it. Yep. Uh, I saw the trailer. Um, you did know, you like the trailer? I, I did. Like it. it got a little dusty in there. There's oh something about God. it. I felt yeah. like he was like. I, I thought he was. Like, I thought he was confused whether I... it was supposed to be Forrest Gump. No, not at all. I thought I thought Tom Hanks looked great in it. I, was I like, think he's going to be great. I didn't think the trailer was good. Uh, I think it's going to be a simple movie. Um, they're not, you know, they're not going to try to make it into uh, some extra melodrama that's not there. And I, I like that about it. And um, I'm still looking forward to it. And it's my number four. Okay. I like that it's stuck on your list. I like that. All right. Um, my number four, the trailer just came out. Actually, they released two trailers, which is smart, um, for this film, which I believe is going to be released on Netflix, but it's uh, Noah Baumbach's yeah, Marriage Story. Yeah, really that just missed my list. I don't know. Something there's, ab- yeah, the two, there's two trailers that are like borderline identical, but different perspectives. Yeah. Which is makes me curious about this movie, like how, how this is going to be structured. Uh, yeah, so it's Scarlett Johansson, Adam Driver, and what I guess is going to be a, d- a divorce or something. And I don't know. It just uh, I I haven't really kept up with Noah Baumbach since God, like a, the Squid and the Whale. I think I saw Green Greenberg, um, but definitely an interesting filmmaker. And um, yeah, I mean, it's great to see Scarlett Johansson doing something that's not a Marvel movie. So I um. I'm looking forward to this too, and and like you, Chapin, I think I'm a little bit um, less familiar with Noah Baumbach than I'd like to be, so I I tried to start uh, chipping away a little bit. I watched while we were while we're young. Um, which one which is, is that? On Netflix. That's the one with Ben Stiller, and Naomi Watts, and Adam Driver, and um, the girl from Mean Girls. I can't remember her name now. That's actually a good actress. Um, uh, anyway. He, I mean, he's very like this is the piece that concerns me about Marriage Story, and I and I sort of developed this concern after watching this um, movie while we're young. Um, Amanda Seyfried, um, is she in it? He's he, oh. yeah, she's she plays Adam Driver's wife, and Ben Stiller and Naomi Watts are married. He's very cynical, and a movie about divorce from a cynical writer director. I feel Might like be hard. Just, well, not just hard. I'm okay if it's hard. Like I and, and and I'm not like if it wants to be hard hitting, fine. Like if it wants to tell how it really is, great. But there if there's if there's cynicism behind it, like if there's 
if it's a cynical movie, that's one thing. If it's a cynical movie from a cynical director and writer, like I feel like it could be too much and just about like, a over, cynical topic. Overrun. About yeah, you know what I mean. Like so, that's my concern with that movie that it could be too much. I found that way about oddly about the movie. Um, uh, this is forty, um, which I was like after I left, I was like, is this what um, Judd Apatow thinks marriage is? Like it just felt like a very cynical look at kind of how things are and it's you know so anyway uh long way to say that i'm kind of in the same boat as you i want to get caught up on a little bit more noah bamba because i actually really like his movies <clears throat> all things uh all that being said i liked while we were young quite a bit um and that one just missed my list so my number four is jojo rabbit from tiko watiti yeah um i've seen zero of tiko watiti's movies <laughs> but i'm oddly like fascinated by his movies because i hear enough about him he you know goes back and forth between thor and what we do in the shadows with uh jermaine from flight of the concords that's so, actually a pretty funny movie if you get a that's what i've heard it's, it's and it's not very long and it's streaming on uh, on yeah. prime so i don't know why i haven't it's not watched great it, so. it's easy but <laughs> um but this looks so funny and i and i like comedies about the nazis <laughs> i think those tend to work nowadays We've gotten to the point where we can get away with that. So I think this looks great. Great. You guys can at least agree with me on the comedies about the Nazis, so I'm not the only yeah, one. Yeah, no, that's true. It's I mean, you can make fun of Nazis. It's never been a time I don't think you can't make fun of Nazis. Bernardo, what's whatever his name is, from uh, Life is Beautiful really paved yeah. the way for that. <laughs> yeah, or Mel oh, Brooks. Roberto Benigni. Roberto Benigni, yeah. What happened to him? Bernardo, he did Bernard. Pinocchio. <laughs> Bernardo, <laughs> he's making pasta. Uh, all right, it's it's me, right? It is. Yep. Uh, so my number three is 1917. Sam Mendes. Um, look, the trailer doesn't give too much away. Uh, it's just you know, it looks like it's going to be a visually stunning film from a. A uh, filmmaker that I want to like his work. Um, he's kind of hit or miss sometimes, but um, yeah, I, it's definitely. I mean, I, I guarantee you, we're going to watch it for this podcast. It's just kind of. It's going to be one of those we're going to go see movies. So the rumor is that it's sort of Birdman esque, as in like a like mocks up to make it look like it's one continuous take. Yeah, which which would be impressive for a war movie. That would be, and it, it, I don't know. The trailer made it seem like that that would be quite the challenge, but right. It there's no way it really is. It, no, it's, no, it's definitely no, it's not. It it says it's not. It says yeah. it's kind of mocks up to make it look like it the same way Birdman did. Yeah. Um, quick I don't side, know, where do you Roberto. guys fall on that? I'm okay. excited about that movie. Sam Mendes is another director that I'm not real high on. Um, hmm. I just. I, I don't even know if I really want to like him, to be honest with you. Like, I, I think I think Revolutionary Road's a good movie. You guys don't really. I guess you really don't like Jarhead. I have. I have to see uh, Jarhead to see again. Again, yeah. And I also want to see Road to Perdition again because that seems I, like a movie I'd love. But yeah, I feel like I didn't love Road to Perdition. I was. I was definitely disappointed. Hmm. Um. Quick, quick sidebar. Roberto Benigni. Uh, what he what he's been up to. So he directed. Pinocchio in 2002 which um, got an 11 on Metacritic Oof. 
and then he did one he directed one other movie in 2005 he's acted in a few things over the years but he does have a movie in post-production as an actor and he is playing geppetto in oh, pinocchio <laughs> strike two <laughs> he's trying again Good idea. <laughs> um okay you're up taven okay <clears throat> excuse me my number three Three is a film called Lucy in the Sky. Have you guys been familiar with this film? I just yeah. saw the trailer for that. Yeah, that, uh, that almost made my list. Um, so this is based, I think, <clears throat> loosely on. Is this a true story? It is. It's it's based loosely on that true story of this woman who was an astronaut for NASA, obviously, and fell in love or had some enough have had an affair with another astronaut, and then she famously <laughs> drove across yeah. country and wore a diaper so she could come and like kidnap this one, one another woman um, who he was seeing um, but I, I it seems like from the trailer that the movie has gone a little bit away from that plot and it's more about S- Natalie Portman plays that character and she kind of comes back from space sort of disoriented and perhaps experiencing some mental health issues Um but you know, you guys know I'm a sucker for space, and so this just seems to be um, really, really kind of interest an interesting film. Um, yeah, I'm glad you put it on your list. I was a little torn on it because I was like, "This looks really interesting." I don't think it's a great trailer. I like the trailer, but it's got it's got a pretty good cast: um, John Hamm, Natalie. That's not Portman. part of a great cast, really. Yeah, not a. Yeah, I don't think he's. A, I don't. He's I think good. he's bad in movies. Yeah, that's true. He was good in Mad Men. Okay, well then, never mind. Um, but anyway, <laughs> can I Natalie interest Portman you in I like, Dan Stevens, who you don't really like, Nick Offerman, Ellen Bernst? Yeah, no, the cast is good. Ellen Bernstein, Natalie Portman, um, Ron Swanson. <laughs> the guy who directed it did, looks like he was in a TV kind of guy, but. Um, Oh, this might be. Is this his first movie? Maybe. I think it is. Yeah. Yeah. Which is weird because the trailer like highlights that he's the director. Yeah. So I looked him up. I felt dumb. I was like, oh yeah, of course, oh, Noah Holly. <laughs> so yeah, that's my. I'm, you know, I'm excited for that. Obviously, Ad Astra hasn't come out yet, and that was my number one, and that's obviously still highly anticipated. But this is an entirely new list. So there you go, Jeremy. I'm up. Oh, Lee. Lee yeah. Jeremy, I just want to let you know it's Lee's turn. Thank you, Lee. Excellent. Your turn. Chapin wanted um, me to tell you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, gentlemen. Uh, the floor is mine. Uh, my number three is a movie called Just Mercy. You guys heard about this? No. This is uh, directed, written and directed by Destin Daniel Cretton, who, uh, word on the Dustin street is Diamond. He's, he's got a Marvel movie coming that he's going to get the helm of. I don't know which one it is. Oh, but, shit. It's got um, some big stars in it. But Jess Mercy, Brie Larson, Michael B. Jordan, Jamie Foxx. Um, Brie Larson is to note because she's been in his other movies. I really, really liked his first movie, which is called Short Term 12. Yeah. Which oh, stars, yeah, that was good, um, yeah. I've never which seen stars that. stars Brie Larson. Good? It's yeah, really it is. good. Um, it also has the kid from um, Newsroom, who I really liked, and it has a really young, um, uh, come on, what's his name? Lakeith Stanfield. Oh, cool. Um, so... That was excellent. I've sort of just kind of had my eye on him, been excited to see what he's doing. So I was, of course, disappointed when I heard that he was getting a Marvel movie, although I don't see it on his IMDb. No, it is Shang-Chi and the Legend of Ten Rings. That's it. Oh, that's a Marvel movie? Yes. Okay. Um, anyway, excited to see this movie. Um, actually, looks like it comes out in January, but it's listed as a 2019 movie, so 
Um, we'll fit it into the Fixie calendar. Um, curious about it. Sounds interesting. It sounds like it's a. I mean, it's a. It's a. Um, uh, based on a true story uh, about, I guess, a lawyer that tries to get somebody off of off of death row. Um, hmm, that's that's a new idea. Yeah, that's never happened. But then before. accidentally kills him. <laughs> it has some. But has it, some it sil- turns uh, out a, she's the killer. Wait a second. <laughs> Twist. <laughs> Um, look, I really like Brie Larson too. I think she's a great actress. Somebody else I wish didn't go Marvel, just like Michael B. Jordan. Also, really like him. Wish he didn't go Marvel. Um, but I got to stop trying <laughs> worrying about that because everybody does. So, um, definitely looking forward to this. Okay. Uh, all right. Uh, yeah. Then I'm glad to put that on my radar. I didn't know about that one. Uh, all right. My number two, I believe, was on my list last time. It is Joker. Um, yeah. That trailer yeah. looks so the, good. I mean, and Joaquin just looks so good. It's just going to be one of those movies where you just enjoy uh, watching an actor do his thing, I think. I don't know. This might have more than that. I really, like, I, none of us are big fans of Todd Phillips. Fine. But this is a really good-looking trailer. I like the kind of original take on this. Yep. I'll be, I, this, this, Here's a take. This has <laughs> major potential to be the most disappointing movie of the year. That or does the that Irishman. make sense? That or the Irishman. Both that's both true. are up there yep. as yep. potentially Boy, most that's, disappointing. Wow, that's so I, like true. like this. Like I don't see the Joker being one of the best movies of the year. I think I'd be really really surprised. I think I, I really hope it's good. It looks good. But hey, it but has think of think of this. If, of really if it sucks, that. we can still dislike Todd Phillips. I know that'll be good. So that'll. Be but that's nice. the thing is, like, I don't dislike Todd Phillips. Like, I just hate The Hangover. I like his other movies. <laughs> I love Old School. <clears throat> he did Road Trip, right? Road Trip yeah. is fine. Yeah. I mean, Due Date was sort of middling. Um, I haven't seen. I mean, I, I hated The Hangover. I haven't seen the sequels to The Hangover, and I didn't see War Dogs, which seemed to be his first like. Oh, I started. Wa- drama. I started watching that, and it was not good. I couldn't even get through it. And it looks like I a like, movie that you could easily put on and just kind of watch. I like Miles Teller. Yeah, I like Miles Ta- Teller, Jonah Hill, um, yeah. you know, war movies. Everything was was shaping up right for my afternoon. Did not <laughs> happen. Oh, well. All right. Japen? Uh, my number two is there. also 1917. Okay. Ooh, you like two. him and his more, Japen? I do. I should probably see Skyfall, which I actually think I have seen, but you should see I don't it. remember it. Yeah, it's actually pretty good. I mean, look. What's like, the other one he did that was terrible? Uh, Spectre. Spectre, right. Y- you, he's kind of chasing Nolan a little bit, but, you know, there are worse people to emulate. That's true. <laughs> um, I think I have seen Skyfall, but I have a hard time with Bond <clears throat> movies for the same reason I have a hard time with Mission Impossible and Bourne movies. Like, they all sort of blend together for me. That's true. I think Skyfall I, is a standout. I mean, it it's it does a good job of sort of... it's. I mean, it's part of the narrative for sure and has all the tropes, but it's it, it really is quite good. All right. My number two is Bombshell. Have you guys seen this trailer? Yes. Oh, I thought you were telling us you got a bombshell. 
Nope. The movie is called Bombshell, directed by Jay Roach, starring Margot Robbie, Charlize Theron. Oh, yeah, I, have I did not this. even recognize in Nicole Kidman. I mean, it's the most attractive elevator scene ever with the three of them in that mm-hmm. elevator. Sexist. But this is basically a, about the group of women who decide to take on Roger Ailes at Fox News and the toxic atmosphere he presided over the network. Have either of you guys um, had a chance to catch any of um, the loudest voice on Showtime? No. I've heard mixed things on it. What do you What do you say? I haven't watched it yet, so I've yeah. been recording it, but it's something I want to get to. Mostly for too. Russell for Russell Crowe, I'm curious. But um, obviously that's about Roger Ailes as well, and this is another one. Um, so, I mean, this is certainly... Very topical uh, in in with everything that's going on in the Me Too movement and, you know, the people taking advantage of their power in the workplace. So I'm curious about it for that reason, but also these three actresses I love. So I think this will be really interesting. Jay Roach, I think, is an interesting director. Um, you know, he of, um, what did he, Meet the Parents, Austin Powers, dinner for schmucks <laughs> um hmm. so going not, off script a little bit a little bit yeah he did trumbo which i didn't see but i know that kind of was well received with um with uh brian cranston so we'll see we'll see what happens um i think this trailer is really cool i, I like these trailers that are just sort of like you know one scene of the movie yeah, like this sort of, sort of one insane concepts yeah so uh, and there's some kind of good music playing and I like it, and and I you know I just continue to watch those three women in that elevator over and over and over again, and don't ask me why. <laughs> uh, well, this this podcast is telling me I got some trailers I got to catch up on for non-sexual reasons, unlike Lee yeah. <laughs> playing the bombshell trailer in the background right now. Uh, okay, so on to number ones, uh, but this one actually. Uh, shot up my list based on the trailer. Um, I was, I was sort of blown away by it. I watched it twice in a row, and it is the lighthouse. Mm. Yeah, I left that off my list because I expected you'd have it on yours. I'm excited about this too. Did you guys not have the sort of? Uh, did you when you watched the trailer? Were you not uh, as as amazed as I was? I mean, it's this movie. Black and white. It uh, stars Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson. It just looks like this sort of 1920s, almost like horror murder mystery uh, isolation movie. That I don't know. That's just. It looks beautiful. Um, I really can't wait to see it. Did you see that guy's um, last movie, The Witch? I never That's did. That's the only other movie I'm. I want to see it. I'll see it before because it. Yeah, I'm I've interested heard to see what you guys. Really good. Things about the witch. I wasn't crazy about it, but it's definitely interesting. And Chris Finch, bloody good rep, is like the main character. <laughs> oh, really? Like a, yes. a lead role. He's in, literally every time he's in something, and he's in a lot, like Game of Thrones, Chernobyl. Doesn't matter. I have to be like Finchy, Finchy, yeah. Finchy, Finchy. <laughs> That's what I do too. Finchy. Ah, oh, pick pick Bloody good rep. <laughs> Like, it doesn't matter if I'm in the middle of the theater, I have to go to, like, Sarah Finchie. I do it, too, and Lydia doesn't know The Office like we do, so she hears me do that, and she doesn't know what I'm talking about. Uh, tell her to watch The Office for another I mean, 20 she's, times. I mean, she's seen it, but... 
Um, yeah, I'm excited about this movie too. I I am more excited about how this movie looks more than anything. Like it's so yeah, it looks really good. I need to watch. Looking, I haven't like, seen the trailer, but I'm excited to check it out. I've heard so much about it. So, I mean, it has a right now it has a 91 on Metacritic, which has got to be like towards the top of the list for the year. Yeah. Um, you know, and take that. Now the question is, when does it come out? I uh, I didn't. October 18th. Oh, oh, fucking can't wait. I'm excited about this too. All right, is it my turn? Yes, sir. Um, My number one is also Bombshell. Oh, all right, nice. Yeah, um, I really like the the movie. You, I think, forgot to mention that that Jay Roach did was Game Change, which is the. Uh, Julian. I never saw that. Sarah Wasn't that an HBO movie? Yeah, it's HBO. You can watch it whenever. Yeah. I actually really liked it. Um, he's done a couple of those political HBO movies, and oh, um, recount. Yeah, and I, I really like them. You know, th- maybe this didn't have any business being a feature film, but man, like they got a quite the good cast, and um, I almost wish they switched uh, Roger Ailes between this and the. Um, uh, you know, because yeah. like John Lithgow is playing it, which you know, I don't know, he's fine, but I think it would have been much more interesting. With oh, uh, I love John Lithgow. I was excited to see that. Yeah. Well, then that'll be good. I'm excited. Um, but yeah, a lot of, a lot of like, uh, great it's, female roles here. I mean, it's across the board. It's a great cast. I mean, the three leads you have, um, Kate McKinnon's also in this. Hopefully, this is a step in the right direction for her after yesterday. Allison Janney is also in this. Connie Britton, um, and then the male roles: Lithgow, Mark Duplass, Stephen Root. This is. I'm excited about this movie. Definitely. Um, all right, my number one. This is sort of an interesting one. Um, I have to admit it, it. It did get pushed to my to to the top. It was my number two because I had a hidden life higher on my list. But um, it's called Parasite. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Um, this is from director uh, Bong Joon Ho. Yeah, Korean. Which, yeah, Korean director. I've watched the trailer. I've read the plot synopsis of this. I still don't really know what this movie is about. Um, but it won won the Palme d'Or at Cannes. Wow. Um, I did see his movie Snowpiercer with Chris Evans, which I actually really liked. Um, and they're making a TV series of it that looks fucking stupid, but. Um, apparently this guy is like all the rage. I wish I, I wish I was more up to date on him because all the talk is that this guy is just an amazing visionary director. And, you know, with this winning, obviously the Palme d'Or and getting all sorts of praise. Can you remind us? What I feel like did? it's something. I, so he has done, um, the, the only other one that maybe you guys have heard of is Okja. Yeah, I don't know if that's how it's the one that's like got the pig in it or something. I saw that. That's what oh, that was the Netflix one. Yeah, yeah. You did see that, Chapin? Yeah. Is it good? Um, it's yeah, it's good. It's uh, it's got a kind of a crazy performance by uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, but that's okay. Okay, uh, he did a movie called Mother in two thousand nine, Tokyo in two thousand eight. Mother, Mother's his most famous. Yeah, it's supposed to be qu- quite good. Oh, oh, right, right, right. This I recognize this now that I'm looking at it. Um, and yeah, and Snowpiercer was in 2013. Oh, Snowpiercer, um, yeah. Um, which I like. That's the only one of his movies that I've seen. Um, it was one of those that was on Netflix and like had a good meta score, and I was like, "This, how can this be good?" Starring Chris Evans, and actually, he was really good in it. Um, which movie? Snowpiercer. Oh, I didn't like particularly like that movie. Really? Yeah. 
Anyway, so Parasite is his newest movie. Palm d'Or winner. Uh, synopsis, all unemployed. Kai Tech's family takes peculiar interest in the wealthy and glamorous parks for their livelihood until they get entangled in an unexpected incident. And, you know, it it does look good. Like, it looks mysterious and interesting, and there's some definitely <coughs> some tension in the trailer, but it's hard to tell what it, exactly it's about. But mm. I'm really excited to see this. So I, I, I tend curi- to like movies that I don't have any idea what they're about. Out of curiosity, um, I, I looked up the Palme d'Or winners because like people reference that a lot, and you're like, oh wow, one Palme d'Or, and I'm like, how many of those have I actually seen or yeah. have like you know done anything after? Um, and really, at least for the last one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight years, I haven't seen any of the movies. Lee just likes it because if Michael Haneke releases a movie, they give it to him automatically. Well, th- so basically the last one I'd seen is The Tree of Life in 2011. Um, then there's a year I haven't seen the movies from Thailand. Um, <clears throat> and then in 2009, it's The White Ribbon, a movie I would love to revisit. Y- and you liked more than I did. I loved that movie. Um, yeah. Shoplifters. That was a. I, I never ended up catching up with that. I heard that was really good from last year. Yeah. I've seen scenes from Blue is the warmest color. Amor was <laughs> Michael Haneke. Uh, yeah, me too. But only because it won Palm Day. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize that one Palm Day. I'm gonna feel so much less guilty now when I yeah, watch yeah. those scenes. Oh, uh, don't come God, in here as Palm Day. <laughs> God, those perverts at con. <laughs> okay. I'm doing research for Palm Day. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, that's going to do it for this edition of the Get Your Film Fixed podcast. Uh, we'd love to hear some feedback. Give us some suggestions of things to see. We're trying to pick this back up again. Um, and next week we'll be doing the Michael Mann retrospective. <laughs> no, we're not. Oh, damn it. All right, thank you. Bye. I'm staying. I'm finishing my coffee. Enjoying my coffee.